Greetings, Detective. Welcome to the Murder Mystery Company in our new free service, Calm Mystery. We know that many of you need that calm and centered moment, but meditation isn't necessarily your thing. If you're a mystery lover, a crime fan, and could use a break, you've come to the right place. It sure is a suspenseful world out there, but I have good news for you. In this world, the only suspense will come from the world's best writers. For the next few minutes, we're going to close the door on the outside world. First, find a comfortable chair, sofa, or bed. Take a moment to just relax into that spot. Let your body sink in, slowly releasing the day's tension. Just relax. You've earned this time. You need this time for you. Your body will thank you. Now let's take a moment to clear your mind. I want you to focus on two things. My voice and your breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Let it out slowly through your mouth. Now the same thing, but let's breathe on my count. Three counts in and four counts out. Breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. As we do this, you're going to slowly relax more and be perfectly ready for tonight's dastardly tale. Now again, breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. One more time, breathing out the last bit of stress. Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. Welcome to Calm Mystery. Our selection this time, The Earth Quarter by Damon Knight, read by Perry F. Bruns, Part 2. The Niori were something to see the first time. They were tall and erect, and their anatomy was not even remotely like man's. They had six limbs each, two for walking, four for manipulation. Their bodies were covered by a pale, horny integument which grew in irregular sections, so that you could tell the age of Inuri by the width of the growth areas between the plates of his armor. But you saw none of those things at first. You saw the two glowing violet eyes set wide apart in a helmet-shaped head, and the startlingly beautiful markings on the smooth shell of the face, blue on pale cream like an ancient porcelain tile. And you saw the crest, a curved, lucent shape that, even in a lighted room, glowed with its own frost blue. 
No Nyori ever walked in darkness. Kudik guided Harkway toward the door at the far end of the room. We'll see who's in the back room, he said. There is usually a small gathering at this hour. The inner room was more brightly lit than the other. Down the center, in front of a row of empty booths, was a long table. Three men sat at one end of it with teacups and a bowl of lychee nuts between them. They looked up as Kudik and Harkway came in. Gentlemen, said Kudik, may I present Mr. Harkway, who is here on a mission from the Minority People's League? Mr. Burgess, Father Exarchos, Mr. Ferguson. The three shook hands with Harkway, Father Exarchos smiling pleasantly, the other two with more guarded expressions. The priest was in his fifties, gray-haired, hollow-templed, with high orbital ridges and a square, mobile mouth. He said in English, oddly accented by a mixture of French and Greek, Please sit down, both of you. I understand that your first evening here has not been too pleasant, Mr. Harkway. I hope the rest of your stay will be more so. Burgess snorted, not quite loudly enough to be deliberately rude. His face had a pleasant, even a handsome cast, except for the expression of petulance he was now wearing. He was a few years younger than the priest, a big-boned, big-featured man whose slightly curved back and hollowed cheeks showed that he had lost bulk since his prime. Ferguson's pale face was expressive, but completely controlled. The gambler's eyes were narrow and unreadable, the lips and long muscles of the jaw showing nothing more than surface emotion. He asked politely, Planning to stay long, Mr. Harkway? That all depends, Mr. Ferguson, on, to be blunt, on what sort of a reception I get. I won't try to conceal from you the fact that my role here is that of a political propagandist. I want to convince as many people as I can that the minority people's movement is the best hope of the human race. If I can find that there's some chance of succeeding, I'll stay as long as necessary. If not, I'm afraid we won't be seeing much of you in that case, Mr. Harkway, said Burgess. His tone was scrupulously correct but his nostrils were quivering with repressed indignation. "'What makes you say that, Mr. Burgess?' Harkway asked, turning his intent, serious gaze on the older man. "'Your program, as I understand it,' said Burgess, "'aims at putting humanity on an equal basis with various assorted races of lizards, beetles, and other vermin. I don't think you will find much sympathy for that program here, sir.' I'm glad to say that, through no fault of your own, you're mistaken, said Harkway, smiling slightly. I think you're referring to the program of the right wing of the League, which was dominant for the last several years. It's true that for that period the MPL's line was to work for the gradual integration of human beings and other repressed races into the society of the planets on which they live. But that's all done with now. The left wing, to which I belong, has won a decisive victory at the League elections. Our program, Harkway continued earnestly, rejects the doctrine of assimilation as a biological and cultural absurdity. What we propose to do, and with sufficient help will do, is to return humanity to its homeland, to reconstitute Earth as an autonomous, civilized member of the galactic entity.
We realize, of course, that this is a gigantic undertaking and that much aid will be required from the other races of the galaxy. Were you about to say something, Mr. Burgess? Burgess said bitterly, What you mean, in plain words, Mr. Harkway, is that you think we all ought to go home, dissolve Earth's galactic empire, give it all back to the natives. I don't think you'll find much support for that either. Harkway bit his lip and cast a glance at Kudik that seemed to say, You warned me, but I forgot. He turned to Ferguson, who was smiling around his cigar as blandly as if nothing out of the way had been said. What's your view, Mr. Ferguson? Ferguson waved his cigar amiably. You'll have to count me out, Mr. Harkway. I'm doing okay as things are. I have no reason to want any changes. Harkway turned to the little priest. And you, Father Exarchos? The Greek shrugged and smiled. I wish you all the luck in the universe, sincerely, he said. But I am afraid I believe that no material methods can rescue man from his dilemma. If I've given any offense, said Burgess suddenly, I can leave. Harkway stared at him for a moment, gears almost visibly slipping in his head. Then he said, Of course not, Mr. Burgess. Please don't think that for a moment. I respect your views. Burgess looked around him with a wounded expression. I know, he said with difficulty, that I am in a minority here. Father Exarchos put a hand on his arm and murmured something. Harkway leaned forward impulsively across the table and said, Mr. Burgess, I've traveled a long way in the hope of discussing these problems with men of intelligence and standing in their community, like yourself. I hope you'll stay and give me the benefit of your experience. I shall be very much the loser if you don't. Burgess was visibly struggling with his emotions. He stood up and said, No, no, not tonight. I'm upset. Please excuse me. Head bowed, he walked out of the room. There was a short silence. Did I do the wrong thing? asked Harkway. No, no, said Father Exarchos. It was not your fault. There was nothing you could do. You must excuse him. He is a good man, but he has suffered too much. Since his wife died of a disease contracted during one of the famines, you understand, he has not been himself. Harkway nodded, looking both older and more human than he had a moment before. If we can only turn back the clock, he said. Put Humpty Dumpty together again, as you expressed it, Mr. Kudik. He smiled apologetically at them. I won't harangue you any more tonight. I'll save that for the meeting tomorrow. But I hope that some of you will come to see it my way. Father Exarchos' eyebrows lifted. You're planning to hold a public meeting tomorrow? Yes. There's some difficulty about space. Mayor Seal tells me that the town hall is already booked for the next three days, but I'm confident that I can find some suitable place. If necessary, I'll make it an open-air meeting. Rack, thought Kudik. Rack usually stays in town for only two or three days at a time. Sela is trying to keep Harkway under cover until he leaves. It won't work. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw a dark shape in the doorway. 
and his first thought was that Burgess had come back. But it was not Burgess. It was a squat, bandy-legged man with huge shoulders and arms, wearing a leather jacket and a limp military cap. Kudik sat perfectly still, warning Exarchos with his eyes. The squat man walked casually up to the table, nodding almost imperceptibly to Ferguson. He ignored the others, except the MPL man. Ya name Hawkway? he asked. He pronounced it with the flat Boston A, Hawkway. That's right, said Harkway. Got a message for you, said the squat man. From Captain Lawrence Rack, United Earth Space Navy. The Earth Space Navy was dissolved twenty years ago, said Harkway. The squat man sighed. You want to hear a message or don't you? he asked. Go ahead, said Harkway. His nostrils were pale, and a muscle stood out at the side of his jaw. Here it is. You're planning to hold a meeting at a Vermin Lovers Society, right? As Harkway began to reply, the squat man leaned across the table and backhanded him across the mouth, knocking him sideways out of his chair. Don't, said the squat man. He turned and strolled out. Kudik and Ferguson helped Harkway up. The man's eyes were staring wildly out of his pale face, and a thin trickle of blood was running from a pulped lip. Who was that man? he asked in a whisper. His name is Monk, said Kudik. At least that is the only name he has been known to answer to. He is one of Rack's lieutenants. Rack, as you probably know, is the leader of the activists in this sector. Mr. Harkway, I'm sorry this happened, but I advise you to wait for a week or so before you hold your meeting. There is no question of courage involved. It would be suicide. Harkway looked at him blindly. The meeting will be held as planned, he said, and walked out, stiff-legged. Ferguson shook his head, laughed, and shook his head again. Kudik exchanged a hopeless glance with Father Exarchos and then followed Harkway out of the room. The shop was empty except for young Nick Papa George, dozing behind the long counter, and the pale morning sunlight that streamed through the plastic window. Most of the counter was in shadow, but stray fingers of light picked out gem trays here and there turning them into minuscule galaxies of frosty brilliance. Two Nyori, walking arm in arm, paused in front of the window display, then went on. Two human youngsters raced by, shouting. Kudik got only a glimpse of them through the pierced screen that closed off the back of his shop, but he recognized them by their voices, Red Gorsiak and Stan Eleftheris. There were few children now, and they were growing up wild. Kudik wondered briefly what it must be like to be a child born into this microcosm, knowing no other. He dismissed the thought. It was simply one more thing about which there was no use to worry. Kudik had not spoken to anyone that morning, but he knew approximately what was happening. Seu would have been busy most of the night, covering up the traces of last evening's riot. Now, probably, he was explaining it away to Zid Oran, the Nyori outgroup commissioner. Harkway was making preparations for his meeting, another thing for Seo to worry about when he got through cleaning up the last mess. 
Barring miracles, today was going to be very bad. Sewell came in, moving quickly. He walked directly to the rear of the shop. His normally bland face looked worried, and there were beads of sweat on his wide forehead, although the morning was cool. Sit down, said Kudik. You've seen Zid Oran? Sio made a dismissing gesture. Nothing. Not pleasant, but nothing. The same as usual. He tells me what happened. I deny it. He knows, but under their laws, he can't do anything. Someday it will be bad, said Kudik. Yes, someday. Laszlo, you've got to do something about Hawkway. Otherwise, he's going to be killed tonight. And there will be a sting from here to Sirius. I had to tell him he could use Town Hall. He was all ready to hold a torchlight meeting in the streets. I tried, said Kudik. Try again, please. Your ethnic background is closer to his than mine. He respects you, I think. Perhaps he's even read some of your books. If anyone can persuade him, you can. What did he say when you talked to him? An ox. A brain made of soap and granite. He says it is a matter of principle. I knew then that I could do nothing. When an Anglo-Saxon talks about his principles, you may as well go home. He won't accept a weapon. He won't postpone the meeting. I think he wants to be a martyr. Kudik frowned. Maybe he does. Have you seen Rack? No. Ferguson pretends not to know where he is. That's rather odd. What is his motive, do you think? Seo said, Basically, he is afraid of Rack. He cooperates with him. They use each other. But you know that it's not a marriage of minds. He knows that Rack is stronger than he is because he is only an amoral egotist. And Rack is a fanatic. I think he believes this business may be Rack's downfall, and he would like that. He stood up. I have to go. Will you do it? Yes. Good. Let me know. Sue walked out as hastily as he had entered. Nick Papa George had roused himself and was polishing a tall, fluted silver vase. Kudik said, Nick, go and find out where Mr. Harkway is. If he isn't busy, ask him if he'll do me the favor of dropping around to see me. Otherwise, just come back and tell me where he is. I'll go to him. Nick said, Sure, Mr. Kudik, and went out. Kudik stared at the tray of unsorted gems on the desk before him. He stirred them with his forefinger, separating out an emerald, two aquamarines, a large turquoise, and a star sapphire. That was all he had had to begin with his dead wife's jewels, carried half across Europe when a loaf of bread was worth more than all the gemstones in the world. The sapphire had bought his passage on the alien ship. The others had been his original stock in trade, first at the refugee center on Alfal, then here on Palumbar. Now he was a prosperous importer with a business that netted him the equivalent of 10,000 pounds a year but the wealth was ashes. He would have traded all of it for one loaf of bread, eaten in peace, on an earth that had not sunk back to barbarism. 
Momentum, he told himself. Momentum and a remnant of curiosity. Those are the only reasons I can think of why I do not blow out my brains. I wonder what keeps the others from it. Sil? Chongyin? I don't know. Burgess has his fantasy, though it cracks now and then. Ferguson has the sensibility of a jackal. Rack, as Seal said, is a fanatic. But why do the rest of them keep on? For what? The doorway darkened again as Harkway came in, followed by Nick. Nick gestured toward the rear of the shop and Harkway advanced, smiling. His lower lip was stained by a purple substance with a glossy surface. Kudik greeted him and offered him a chair. It was good of you to come over, he said. I hope I didn't interrupt your work. Harkway grinned stiffly. No, I was just finishing lunch when your boy found me. I have nothing more to do until this evening. Kudik looked at him. You got to the hospital after all, I see. Yes, Dr. Moskowitz fixed me up nicely. Kudik had been asking himself why the MPL man looked so cheerful. Now he thought he understood. And Miss Burgess? he asked. Yes, said Harkway, looking embarrassed. He paused. She's an exquisite person, Mr. Kudik. Kudik clasped his square hands together, elbows on the arms of his chair. He said, Forgive me, I'm going to be personal. Am I right in saying that you now feel more than casually interested in Miss Burgess? He added, Please, I have a reason for asking. Harkway's expression was guarded. Yes, that's true. Do you think she may feel similarly towards you? Harkway paused. I think so. I hope so. Why, Mr. Kudik? You've just listened to Part 2 of The Earth Quarter by Damon Knight, here on Calm Mystery. Join us next time to find out why Kudik is worried about Harkway's interest in Ms. Burgess. Calm Mystery is a Murder Mystery Company production. Part of American Immersion Theater, Scott Crampton, Executive Producer. Our editor is Audra Schildhaus. If you enjoy Calm Mystery, please take the time to rate us and leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your fine podcasts. It helps spread the word. In the comments, let us know what you like and how we can improve. While you're at it, tell a friend who enjoys a good story. Or even an enemy if you need a distraction. And subscribe if you haven't already. That way you won't miss an episode. They'll download to your device when you least expect it. In the meantime, stay calm. Mystery is everywhere. Thank you for listening to Calm Mystery, a Murder Mystery Company production. To solve your own case with us, visit MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, and use code CALM, C-A-L-M, for $20 off your own murder mystery party. We have dozens of entertaining detectives. You can even ask for me, Perry, by name. If no one else can help, and if they can find me, Maybe I can help you become Detective of the Night. That's MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, code CALM.